Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Lotus Eaters. I'm joined by Dan. Hello. Connor. You're right. And today we're talking about the new Boomer PSYOP, the Sora AI, whether or not it's making movies good again, which... It will. Okay, sure. Yep. And also um, some things you don't come back from, because there are, there are some things which you just you have to accept it's over. Uh, that's for brands to deal with. But I have some announcements to make. First announcement being that Calvin Robinson, he is off washing feet or something, so he won't be uh, in doing Common Sense Crusade this Thursday. Uh, but I do have an announcement, which is tomorrow we'll be doing something, which is a live hangout, the cyberpunk dystopia series will be continuing with Carl torturing me that, that war is not worth fighting anymore because it's cringe. So do come and join. That'll be uh, 3 p.m. UK time in which um, Carl will just, well, make us all sad. Otherwise, let's get into the news, shall we? So, yeah, fantastic. I thought we'd check in on ITV because the last time that we did, I think it was Dan and I, actually, we were looking at Coronation Street segment where they decided to put some objections to mass immigration and all of the cultural enrichment going on in our cities in the mouth of a man who beats up migrant children, because that's obviously not poisoning the well. So ITV dramas and soap operas keep positioning the British public and their political beliefs in a way which the establishment finds acceptable. It's trying to mould the minds of otherwise apolitical people. And so we've seen this happen in soap operas, but now we've seen it happen in this new ITV drama called Breathtaking. Now this is based on a book by Rachel Clark, who was a frontline NHS nurse during the early days of the pandemic. And I thought we'd just watch the trailer and see how this is symptomatic of the behavioural nudging and psychological warfare techniques that are used both by the government during the pandemic and consistently throughout British television. Is it going to be a load of dance routines? We'll get onto that in a moment. Right, okay. Let's watch the trailer, gentlemen. Let's see the, the, the astounding level of gripping drama and realism, definitely realism, that's depicted in this. Uh, if you're on YouTube, you may not be able to watch this and we'll have to quickly cut that out, so we'll summarise what happens afterwards. We will ah. make sure the NHS gets all the support it needs. Morning. Just had a call from LAS. Might be the first one. I'm not going to make it home this weekend. Sorry, it's just it's madness. There's currently no PPE at all. They were overwhelmed. The virus is always going to be ahead. Trust the guidelines. This is insane. Where's the defense? Where's the first trolley? The public can be assured that we have a clear plan. There's no plan. Members of our team are wearing bin bags and going home wondering if they're going to die in the night. Don't go there. We're already there. You know this thing is spreading. They just keep coming. But no one is giving up. Prepare for the worst. But hope for the best. Breathtaking starts the 19th of February on IT. Now, for those who weren't able to watch that on YouTube, it was a very hyperdramatic snapshot of the early days of the pandemic in hospital wards where everyone's dying in sight, everyone's wearing bin bags because of a shortage of PPE, clap for carers is landing on deaf ears for the NHS staff, and the insinuation is, well, if we just would have locked down earlier, we would have saved lives. And the tagline was, the story you've never been told. Gents, does it feel like we haven't had this messaging quite just yet? Well, they're, they're making a they're making a TV program about a psyop that nobody believes anymore. I'm, I'm just surprised they, they. I mean, this production must have taken a couple of hundred people to put together, and they found a couple of hundred people who still believe in the mid two thousands narratives. Do they quite believe it, or do they want their audience to believe it? Oh, possibly convenient political reason. The reason I say this, so I've watched two episodes of this, so it's debuting across 
So today is the, what's the date today? Oh, it's a Tuesday. It's the I mean, 20th, Tuesdays. I think. Yeah. So it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday um, in February. Last night at the first episode. Tonight as the second episode. Tomorrow is the third episode by the time this goes out. All of them are available on ITVX. And I've watched the first two episodes. And do you know what? I ran out of time, but I'm glad I didn't watch the third episode. Because one thing is, it's chronically boring. But the framing is fascinating because it opens in the first episode with footage of Suella and Reese Mogg and Matt Hancock and Matt going into number 10, being bombarded by the likes of Kay Burley from Sky News, who also broke lockdown rules but didn't face any repercussions, by the way, saying, why aren't you locking down? Do you have a plan? Etc. It's flavoured with the insinuation that the government either willfully or drastically mishandled the pandemic by not locking down earlier, not giving them face masks, which we now know, thanks to the Lancet and John Hopkins and the like didn't stop transmission of airborne particulates. Why they didn't enact all of these authoritarian measures just sooner and the whole pandemic would have been over. They've also got a lot of intersectional framing in this. So the first conversation in the series, in the first couple of minutes, is between two nurses complaining about the size of the masks because they say that the PPE is made for wider jaws, life-saving for men, basically. It's an actual quote from the first few minutes. And the other doctor that was in that trailer, the one that was saying, we have staff wearing bin bags, is at that time, berating on the hospital higher-ups for the COVID patients being discharged into nursing homes. Nothing about midazolam in there, but we'll, we'll move on, I suppose. Uh, he says, do you know who's dying down there? Certainly not the white people up here. No, it was, it was fat people. Fat old people. COVID's racist, Dan, didn't you know? Yeah, so they're, they're layering this hyper-reality narrative on top of what we've already experienced and trying to gaslight you into thinking that if you just would have been under house arrest for an even longer duration of time, like Susan Michi, the lifelong member of Communist Party, as head of SAGE, said, quote, forever. She said she wanted face masks and social distancing to remain, quote, forever. If we just would have done that, yeah. everything would have been okay. But, but all right. Um, also keeps mentioning Italy in the first episode. We'll return to that later. So there was a first... I mean, little, uh, everything in there has been comprehensively debunked at this point. Yeah. Quite right. Now, the reason I wanted to just have a look at this little scene bit that they put out is to look at the framing. Nora Dodsworth talks a lot about this in her book, which we'll come on to in a moment. But the attempt to prime you to be tense, on edge, and receptive to the fact that there's an existential threat being perceived. Just look at the editing and the music and how they, they do this scene in the first episode. Picked up from Heathrow, blue like it here. Get ready to airway move. Open, no airway ready. 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 Roll. 40 p.m. Ready. Steady. On oxygen. Let's make some room. It's completely abundant. ABG, please. And can we get some monitoring? Yep. Do we have access? Uh, just a blink. He's completely shut down. Not shifting much air. Okay. Can we get an urgent chest X-ray in here, please? On the way. Crept throughout. Neil, do you have an airway? Yeah, but I'm having to help. Sat's are in the 70s. Okay, he's tiring. We need to get on an intubate. Yeah, agreed. Drugs from the fridge, please. Joe. Sat's a 52. Barely breathing now. Suction set. All right, are you on their way? On their way. Okay, drugs going in. Who's ready, please? 
We're going to need that ABG as soon as you can, guys. I'm going to need suction. Tube, please. He's arresting now. The thing is, this, this is how they make history. They, they put out these psyops, and then they make the, uh, the film and the video and the literature portrayal of it afterwards, and that's the bit that in 20 and 30 years everybody will remember. Oh, exactly. And this is why they've done the really tight and in-close filming, the intense music, the cacophony of sounds, the focus on the breathing to insinuate that everyone was very short of breath at that time and always on the precipice of dying. The representation of the patient in there I thought was very interesting as well. Just your average white bloke, just you know, mid-50s, not particularly overweight, uh, definitely not if he's just been picked up from Heathrow from China, like the first recorded COVID patients were in the UK. So anyone could get it. At any time, you could just drop dead from this airborne disease. Now, the reason that you use the phrase PSYOP there, Dan, is because COVID was a PSYOP. And this is why I've used the word PSYOP in the title, because they're trying to PSYOP the boomers into thinking this was the case. Obviously, disease was real. The response, a bit overblown and wasn't very well managed. In I, gotta, terms of I gotta wonder, like, what is the viewership on this at this point? Because it is true, like, someone in a room has sat down, greenlit this project, not just because I'll oh, make great TV, because obviously it doesn't. I mean, that should have been exciting. But that was boring to watch. Yes. So, like, what are the viewership they're actually reaching? Because, I mean, ITV, terrestrial television, that's dead. That, that's, an, that's a game over at this point. So is it just, like, an online audience or something? Well, they've got a streaming service, so I'd assume they're trying to target an online audience. But the captive audience they still have around televisions are the fair few thousand boomers that t tune in every night that might be compelled to vote for people that are promising to bring in further restrictions down the line to save them, because they think that that's what would have saved them. Even though lockdown saved, according to John Hopkins, about maybe 17,000, no, was it 1,700? 17,000 lives, according to its study, but cost way more through missed cancer diagnoses and yeah. shot down on suicides and the like. So the reason we say PSYOP, so you've done an interview with Laura Dodsworth here. This was for her new book, Free Your Mind. But during the pandemic, she wrote a book called State of Fear. And I wanted to go through some of the various PSYOPs that are in this book to illustrate to you just how bad we were propagandized during the COVID pandemic. Because most people just think, oh, the government was scaremongering its press precincts. No, no, no. They had multiple psychological warfare operations going on from within the cabinet, from within behavioral nudge units. The depths of this stuff is absurd. Yeah, it, it was a military-grade PSYOP, and I'm not being hyperbolic. It was literally a military-grade PSYOP. Yeah, they involved the 77th Brigade. I'll give those a mention shortly. So most of the newspapers at the time were getting their advertising money from the government directly from COVID. So there was a 48% decline in traditional advertising spend in the lockdown period between the 23rd of March to the 30th of June. So this was the first lockdown in 2020. Public Health England became the UK's largest advertiser and the government the sixth biggest advertiser during this time. Rishi Sunak announced on the, in April 2020, the UK would spend £35 million for the All In, All Together campaign in national and regional newspapers. The campaign reported that the Cabinet Office figures that the government revealed that the government was investing 184 million pounds on communications related to COVID-19 in just 2020. Now, this was in the middle of the pandemic that she wrote this. We don't even know what the final sum was. So that's staggering. The government are literally buying newspapers to be the mouthpiece of their propaganda. Do we think that shaped the, the coverage of the virus during that time? Because I would think they wouldn't want to bite the hand that feeds them, but there we go. Uh, they mentioned Italy in the first episode of, of this series. Do we remember the Italian coffin footage where all the people were Yeah, from that very four years previous. Mm, yeah, quite, quite curious. So Sky News reported on the 19th of March 2020 that army vehicles were being brought in to transport dead body, bodies in Italy. Uh, this would obviously make you think that the army trucks were 
needed because the bodies were so numerous. But according to the Italian Funeral Industry Federation, 70% of undertakers had to stop work to quarantine. So the army was drafted in for a one-off transport of 60 coffins. But they ran that footage round the clock. So it's because of the policies, the undertakers weren't allowed to carry it out. Therefore, the optics were the army needs to step in, and the optics were used to justify further lockdowns on the premise that there were so many bodies that we needed to contain the measures in each of the countries. I, I like the way that Brett Weinstein um, labels the pandemic. He says that no virus was actually necessary in order to get the response that we saw. Now, he thinks there was a virus. I know that some people dispute that. I think there probably was a new virus of some kind. But he just makes the point it wasn't actually necessary to get what we got. Well, this is why multiple people, including Speaker Lindsay Hoyle and Manira Mirza, not Manira Mirza, she was Boris Johnson's advisor, the other one that has two M's that works with the UN and the World Economic Forum, have said they wanted to repurpose the lockdown policies for climate change. So did one of the co-founders of Extinction Rebellion I debated at Durham University in 2020. They're honest about this stuff. It's all about clap for carers. That was in the footage, right? Remember, Thursday afternoons, Doris would stand on her doorstep banging her pots and pans together in support for the NHS. That was an organic movement, right? Well, turns out not. So Laura decided to interview the founder of Clap for Carers, who was Anne-Marie Plass. And on social media, she had already come across rumours that the campaign was secretly powered by the government. So she asked Plass about this, and she denied the rumours. But Laura felt unable to pitch her article because she had said to a friend who worked at number 10 about the thing before she launched it. So Anne-Marie Plass, who launched Clap for Carers, had a friend within number 10. And then we wonder why the very first Clap for Carers was covered in national media and supported by the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson at the time, and Victoria and David Beckham, instantly, within the first few days. How did an obscure Facebook campaign reach the ears of Britain's elite? Yeah, very signal boost. Yeah, quite. So then Laura went back to Anne-Marie and she asked directly, if she had knowingly worked with anyone in the government. She said, my friend was so busy with her job at number 10 that she didn't even have time to think of clap for carers. It was the first few days of lockdowns. But yes, it is amazing how the world shared it so quickly, given that I, I made an image on the Friday night with a spelling mistake and no permission to use the NHS logo, and it was picked up by the Beckhams and royalty within the span of 24 hours. Purely organic to get people to go out on their doorstep and clap for the NHS as if it was for Stalin. So, yep. sure, I'm, I'm sure we're going to get accountability for this, though, But because have you heard, gents? There is a lockdown inquiry going on. Mm. So they're investigating into whether or not government ministers acted properly in procuring PPE and what policies were enforced and whether or not they lied to the British public. Um, Laura's been covering this for, for CapEx. And here's a quote from the lockdown inquiry. So this is from Professor James Rubin, and he's the co-chair of the Independent Scientific Pandemic Insights Group on Behaviours. This is Spy B, ironically named. And they assured the COVID inquiry, quote, Spy B spent its time trying to work out how to support members of the community, not scare them. Now, this does seem to contradict a Spy B paper on the 22nd of March 2020, which recommended that, quote, the perceived level of personal threat needs to be increased among those who are complacent using hard-hitting emotional messaging. To be effective, this must also empower people by making clear the actions they can take to reduce the threat. A substantial number of people still do not feel sufficiently personally threatened. It could be they are reassured by the low death rate in their demographic group, although levels of a concern may be rising. So we need to exaggerate the death rate for their particular demographic group in advertising funded by the government, in papers, and possibly in ITV dramas to make them think the pandemic was worse than it was so they would comply with lockdown rules. Mm. Deliberately scaring the public. Yeah, I felt threatened, but by my, by my government, not because of the bloody pandemic. Oh, what gave you that impression, Dan? Was it the fact that it confiscated your livelihood and stopped you from seeing family members? Or at least yes. 
legally speaking, uh, stopped people from having cancer screenings, stopped people from having weddings and funerals and starting relationships. Well, even, unless they, you're Matt Hancock. They even didn't let us out of the country at one point. Yeah, quite. So in fact, there was talk about not letting us go to the shops unless we had their, uh, their thing. Yes, there were vaccine mandates on the table, according to Boris Johnson. Uh, David Halpern, as Lauren, uh, Laura documents here, ahead of the behavioural insights teams, the nudge unit, declared in an interview with The Telegraph that the government's fear-mongering during the pandemic was justified. Quote, there are times when you do need fear to cut through, particularly if you think people are wrongly calibrated. Oh, so we can just attune your brain according to what the state demands for its policies. I'm, I'm sure that's great. Actually, one spy B advisor that decided to remain anonymous told Laura that the way we have used fear was dystopian. Yep. This is according to their own team. So yes, it's not an exaggeration to call it a psyop. Now, obviously, these weren't the only people who were spy being the nudge units. The nudge unit was set up in 2010 under Cameron's government. It's now a for-profit enterprise in multiple countries, including um, in France, in America, in Singapore, and in uh, Australia, uh, Canada, and New Zealand. And it runs more than 750 projects, and in 2019 alone, it worked in 31 total countries. Right before the pandemic, 31 countries. But we all just wonder why the pandemic uh, response was all the same. She also mentions RICU. So this is the, the Home Office's Research, Information, and Communications Unit. This might be of interest, Callum. Do you remember those Middle Eastern Eye uh, articles that you kept bringing up for the Nottingham stabbing, where they have... Uh, the organized um, response. Yes. The, the, the term was controlled spontaneity. This is RICU. This is directly from the Home Office. There was a quote in here, and, and Laura interviewed a woman named Lucy Eastthorpe, and, and she's written for The Guardian before. And she said that the I heart messages that happened after the bridge attack and the like were, quote, carefully planned in advance. And then she said, after the Manchester Arena bombing, she had a change of heart about the level of guided response. Quote, I was wrong to insist in my training that the first message should be we will overcome. So don't look back in anger was centrally planned by the Home Office. They literally told you, as parents grieving their dead children, you can't be mad about it. It was evil what they did to those families. Yeah, and the same people managed our pandemic response. Yep. Just to let you know. Also, you said military PSYOP. Uh, the 77th Brigade is the uh, Army Cyber Warfare and Online Division. So they create hashtags and then use bots to amplify those hashtags. And these were the people that were spying on, per Big Brother Watch's findings, Julie Hartley Brewer and Peter Hitchens and other lockdown critics during this. It just so happens as well that Tobias Elwood, who's an MP who keeps telling the Tories that they can't push to the right and wants troops on the ground in Israel and Ukraine, is also a reservist for this. Oh, and Caroline Dynage's husband was the former head of this. Caroline Dynage being the one that I remember. sent out those letters to Rumble, GB News, and TikTok and the like, saying we should deplatform Russell Brown. She still needs to be sacked for that. Oh, I agree, but she she won't be. Uh, and of course, Callum covered at the time how Vaccines Minister Nadim Zahawi had founded and turns out was still receiving money from selling the shares in YouGov. YouGov being the polling agency that repeatedly polled was it 71% approval ratings from small sample sizes for every single restrictive measure that the government did, including vaccine passports and vaccine mandates. But don't worry, they're being totally honest. They'd never manipulate you. It's not like the health secretary literally said we need to frighten the pants off everyone about COVID. So this was in 2020. Uh, this was ahead of the Christmas lockdown that they reimposed. And Hancock knew that people would be very upset at him for reimposing this, despite having promised not to. And in a conversation between Matt Hancock and uh, Paul, who was, I believe, in part of the government's uh, Damon Paul, it was the Department of Health special media advisor, uh, he's, on, on December the 13th, he said, uh, we need to deploy the new variant. And he said, we need to frighten the pants off everyone with the new strain in order to get them to comply with lockdown. Yeah. Right. So talking about how to announce the new strain in a tactical way to get you sufficiently scared enough, as Spivey said, to comply with lockdown. They're deliberately propagandizing you. Okay, so we've established all that. 
what was the COVID wards with the nurses actually like? Ah, yeah. As, as you've already prefaced, Dan, uh, we're, we're going to play this with, with muting. For lots of them, it didn't look that lethal. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, the whole COVID thing smelt to me from the beginning because I could detect the tendrils of government and PSYOP going in there right from the beginning. But when this stuff started coming out, I thought, okay, everybody's now going to see through it. And I was just bewildered to find that friends, family, and relatives were like, oh, yeah, there's, there's definitely a pandemic. It's like, look at the bloody dancing nurses. I mean, is that not a clue? But no, they still didn't get it. This isn't just one NHS board. This was all over the world. Oh, yeah. There's was, was hundreds of these videos. I've never seen these videos before. So you found, you found one I've never oh, seen. Oh, there's tons of compilations. Oh, I mean, loads. The excuse was, of course, oh, they were locked in the hospitals for that long. So they had to, between tending to patients, do these impromptu dances that certainly weren't ridiculous, insensitive, and well-planned. Uh, point being, I was locked in my home for two years straight because the NHS was so overburdened that they could do nothing but care for dying COVID patients of all ages, apparently. No particular demographics or lifestyle characteristics that could have predicted you being at risk for COVID. No, no, no. These, these people, these are our heroes. Definitely worth destroying the economy for. Now, of course, as I said, these were in multiple different countries, but it couldn't be our NHS nurses. Oh, oh dear. They wouldn't do anything this embarrassing, would they? This is definitely going in the ITV drama to scare the pants <laughs> off the people, I'm sure. I mean, this is just a joke. And it, it would, it's yeah. a really sick joke because, again, we are propagandized to accept it. They take our money to propagandize us, and then they lock us in our homes for the privilege. So, so, so why now? I mean, that's a good question. Uh, did you remember this post office drama that came out fairly recently? So, no, for, for anyone I, who, I don't watch TV. Totally valid. I haven't seen it. But for anyone that was in the UK, this was the current thing for like two weeks. All right. This was the Horizon post office scandal where Fujitsu had a, I'm, I'm going to give a really condensed version, an IT software that kept knocking numbers off of the mm. accounts that were for different post offices. And so it looked like that the post office was missing money and the books weren't balancing up. So postmasters who ran their own post office branches were encouraged to take money out of their own pocket to prop it up. So they were accused of fraud. They were accused of taking the money. Fujitsu wouldn't admit fault. Multiple people went to prison over this. Some people committed suicide over this. And then years later, it turns out Fujitsu knew all along. Now, because of this drama of Mr. Bates and the post office that came out in ITV, and this is Toby Jones, who was the star of it, and he said he's immensely proud of the impact the drama had. Because of this, there was enough pressure on the government to finally put through a compensation scheme for the postmasters. Now, that would be good, except it's not come through Fujitsu, it's come from the taxpayer. So they haven't yet made the company that was, should be criminally responsible for all these people's wrongful sentencing and deaths hmm. pay up. and said, we're paying for it. Point being... ITV's dramas do actually affect political change. And the reason I say this is because at the moment, there's another Coronation Street storyline going along about assisted dying. Now, this is a fella who's got motor neuron disease and his husband is a gay married Anglican priest. And they genuinely make him swear on the Bible that he will help kill his husband when he needs assisted dying when the time comes. Jeez. So that is the level of subversion. They're parasitizing your own moral framework to guilt trip you into supporting a political uh, position which is coming down the pike. Because if you notice the date on this article, it is Tuesday, the 9th of January, 2024. The same day that this happens, Dame Esther Ranson uh, comes out and announces that she's got an assisted dying petition that's tied to her name. So Dame Esther Ransom was a, a BBC presenter who helped set up Childline, so she's quite famous. Uh, she's currently got terminal lung cancer. 
And because of her saying she's joining Dignitas, now lots of people are pushing for her sister dying, including Keir Starmer saying he'll support it when he's next prime minister. So all of these interesting things are coinciding. So, so you, what you're saying is the assisted dying is now getting the push the way that COVID did. Oh, actually, in the middle, after the COVID stopped getting the push, we then had eat the bugs that got pushed. It did and now it's now it's assisted dying is getting. Yeah, and and I would I would suggest that Coronation Street is definitely doing something like this because as we've seen with the various segments yeah. before, that they all harmonised around COP26 to push climate change. They push the the climate change. Uh, they push the immigration stuff. And there's a, there's an extract from Peter Hitchens' abolition of Britain here that I want to read because it's been going on for multiple years. Um, quote, it is clear to anyone with eyes in their head that Deirdre Rachid is innocent and should be free. And this was a spokesman for Tony Blair in 1998. The whole nation is concerned about Deirdre Rachid. This was William Hague, leader of the opposition in 1998. Deirdre Rachid did not exist. She's a fictional character, a character in television soap Coronation Street who'd been sent to a fictional prison by a fictional court for a fictional crime. Everybody, including the Prime Minister and leader of the opposition, knew this, and yet they also knew that millions of people cared for, uh, cared rather more fiercely about this figment of their imagination than they did about the real world. Both of them would have felt it was unwise to boycott the strange international festival of protest against Deirdre's harsh sentence. They were only following the example of the most popular newspapers, which for years had treated the major soap opera series as if it was real, sometimes confusing their television stars' identities with their actual ones. Tony Blair even asked, Home Secretary Jack Straw to investigate the case at the time. So if they're standing up at the dispatch box and talking about ITV soaps and dramas, and then now modern politicians are responding to the pressure created by ITV soaps and dramas and enacting policy based off of that, these things have powerful influences over the way people think. So of course, they're going to use this assisted dying storyline in Coronation Street to start to influence people. Uh, this is now amassed, and this is, this is quite significant, this uh, has now amassed over 100,000 signatures, and Esther Ranson has created a template letter for you to write to your MP to create a free vote in Parliament. Now, free vote means that members of the party can't be whipped, so each individual parliamentarian has to vote based on their own conscience. So that means that this could just be pushed in by majority rule, no matter whether or not the parties actually agree with it. So this is a consciousness-raising exercise through soap operas yep. to then enact policies that actually results in, basically, the deaths of people. Not, not very encouraging, is it? Uh, this is possibly my final think piece on why this COVID drama has happened. Are you aware of the WHO's Pandemic Preparedness Treaty by any chance? Unfortunately. Do you know when that gets ratified? No, I don't actually. May 2024. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So in about two odd months' time, even though we voted against the appointment of Dr. Tedros, none of our MPs have had a say in this. Only random, unnamed Whitehall... Uh, mandarins have contributed to the hundreds of amendments that will be legally binding and allows Dr. Tedros to unilaterally declare lockdowns or just tell the whole world to lock down for any reason up into including climate change, which he's already declared his intent to do so because he said it's a health emergency. These will be coming into effect in two months. So isn't it convenient that an ITV drama saying just how bad COVID actually was, we promise, yeah. drops about two months ahead of this to make the make the public pliable to complying with these regulations. I mean, we definitely reached the stage where they're not even pretending there's a democracy anymore. They're just, they're just ruling by elites. Yeah, they're using psychological warfare techniques to manufacture consent so that you vote the way that they want for the policies that they already want. So just be very aware. One, don't watch this in the first place. But two, if your boomer parents are watching this, just give them a little nudge back and tell them exactly what's happening to them. Right, I have two questions for the audience. Um, I'll start with the first one now. It is, 
when was the last good movie year and why? So um, um, by that, I don't mean like peak cinema or anything, because we obviously know that peak cinema was in 1993 when Bill Murray put together Groundhog Day, the greatest movie that has ever been made. Haven't seen it. That's pretty much undisputed uh, at this stage. But so I'm not I'm not talking about peak cinema. I'm saying when was the last year where the generally good stuff outweighed the generally bad stuff? So I've, I've had to think about this because. You know, back in the early 2000s, I used to be, a, I used to live in central London and there used to be a little blockbusters at the end of the street. And I'd wander down there on any given night when I didn't have much to do. And you could always find a good film. You just walk in, basically grab something, and it's a good film. Right. These days, you cannot find a good film. You cannot just go on Netflix or Amazon or whatever it is and find a good, they, they, they don't exist anymore. So I've come to the conclusion that the last really genuinely good year, oh, hang on. There's my clicky thing. Oh, no. John, can you do the clicky thing for me? Go to the next one because. There we go. Oh, there we go. Right. There we go. So I think the last genuinely good year was 2008 because it produced the absolute epic Tropic Thunder. Am I right? Can I be honest? Yes. I, I admire the testicles on Robert Downey Jr. for doing that. Right. And bits of it were funny. I didn't find it that funny. I found it a bit absurd. It was deliberately offensive, which I like because it stuck a thumb in the eye. Yes. But I just didn't find it that funny. I thought it was all right. Anyway, so I thought that I thought that was the last genuinely good year, but I can make a case for 2000 and oh, can you do the clicky thing again? Give me give me go to the next one. Oh, there we go. 2009. That's that, a great that, film. Yes, district yes, that was good. I want to see I want a sequel to that. There've been there've been some good yeah. films interspersed throughout the years. Like Joker was 2019. That was that was genuinely good. Yeah, but yeah, but my, my, my benchmark is when do the generally good films outweigh the generally bad films? So you yeah. can't just say, oh, there's one nugget in a massive pile of shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a diamond among the dog turds. Yes. I, I am very aware of this, yeah. Yeah. So we, it's definitely, can we go to the next one? It's definitely not 2010 because the best film I could find was Kick-Ass. And it wasn't great. No, I mean, it was all right. It was obnoxious. I don't really remember any of the characters that well. I remember that there were like a little girl who beat up people with her dad, but the rest, of, I just can't remember the characters in any particular detail. Also, in 2009, you got Inception, which is ridiculous. Inception's rubbish. Some people like it, but it just like it breaks all its own rules. Exactly. Thank you. Yes. Finally. Um, and, and, it, and true grit that some people like, but it's just not that good. And um, I went to 2011 just to see if I could find it. And the best I could find is, is In Time. Which was which was all right. I quite like that one. I quite I quite like time traveling. Well, it's not time traveling that one, but whatever. I like I like films with time in it. You should have got up a list. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it just has the the word time in the title. No, Groundhog Day didn't have time in the title. Just just no, no, time, I mean, time fiends. Whatever. Okay. For whatever right. reason, it just appeals. You're just like oh, oh, linearly. Yes. Yeah. Well, also in 2011, you've got The Raid, that Korean film that was quite good, and you have got Moneyball with. Um, Brad Bradley the the pit Brad Pitt yeah and uh, Drive with some people oh Drive's great yeah Drive's a great film yeah OMG so, he's literally but I I still think by about 2011 it's it's definitely on the slide and it's like okay so what makes a good film is that an open question yeah well I, I tell you I tell you what it is for a start it, the the minimum hygiene level that you need to clear is I need to be able to hear it without putting the subtitles on I do watch with subtitles but it's yes. mainly because I usually watch with a woman and so if she asked me to explain something I can just point oh, at God, the screen oh god that's annoying instead. isn't it yeah. do, do, do all women do all do, 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 tell, okay that's the third question tell us in the, do all women do that because the amount of times I've had to say, to say to the wife if you just watch the movie your questions will be answered 
Yeah. It's like the people who made the movie thought thought of this and then they're going to explain it. You're also interrupting me, giving you all the really interesting trivia that you definitely want to hear. Like, well, I, well. I learned it for yeah, a that, reason. That, that, that as well. That as well. Um, yeah. So you need to be able to hear it without without um, subtitles, which modern movies, they, they, they don't do it anymore. The sound mixing is pretty poor. Harry and I noticed yeah. this when we went and watched Wakanda Forever, unfortunately, of where there was audio was peaking. Yeah, so they, so they go, rush out watch any modern movie and then go and watch a film from the 90s and you'll see the difference. Because I just, for a while, me and the missus just thought, Oh, we're getting old and we can't hear anymore. And then, okay, and then for some reason, we'd put on a '90s movie. It's like, oh, okay, well, we can hear again. It's like modern movies; they they just muffle it and they eat all the words and stuff like. That. And and the only actor I know is Lawrence Fox. So I asked him why they do that, and and he gave me two explanations. One of which is that um, actors are no longer classically trained in the proper whatever he had. That's right? about right. And and the second reason was directors are going for realism, and and that means that you're not supposed to be able to hear anything. I don't know about that. Yeah. Well, even in the Marvel films, it sounds absurdly bad. Well, they're, they're not... They're, I mean, they're the least the, 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 the least worst. Uh, also, in, uh, film, uh, hygiene-level films, I want to be able to follow an action sequence yes. without getting sick. Yeah, without all the super cuts. Yes. 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 So, so good old movies that you had, you had action scenes you could follow. And also, I don't want a narrative fisted down my throat the entire time. So yeah, don't watch a film from the last 10 or so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, the only other thing I will say, let's go to the next one, is um, 2008 began what what we might now call the Great Scourge. So that so Iron. Okay, Man. I'm going to defend some superhero movies here. No, no, I, I like... no, I'm going to defend Iron Man. Oh, there's there's ones after that that are actually good. Yes, uh, Watchmen's in... great. 2009. Um, oh yeah, that Man was of Steel, Batman v Superman. Uh, they're, they're very good. Yeah. Uh, what can, else? Can, we go, Joker? Can, we go to, can we go to the Wikipedia list? Because I anticipated your question. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, Marvel's kind of rubbish. Most of, almost all of them are rubbish. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to give certain passes. So, I, I, the, Iron Man, that was good. Yep. Right. Um, Incredible Hulk. Was nope. that the one with Edward Norton? Yeah, that was terrible. Uh, all of them. We can just keep scrolling. Uh, Iron, Guardians of the no, Galaxy. Basically, basically, my point is like everything on that first section. Iron Man Two is really? kind of all right. No, not with Mickey well, Rourke playing a Russian. Yeah, but Thor, Captain America, and the Avengers. They're, they're, that, they're, they're, they were sort of right. They're all boring yeah, and cheesy. But once you get into that next block, Guardians of the Galaxy was good. Okay, everything they're in fun. that next block, apart from Guardians of the Galaxy, is all trash at that point onwards. Yeah, pretty much. So I'm basically just making the point: there was a peak year, and it was probably 2008 or 2009. In terms of the ratio, sure. <clears throat> I think I think I think that's perfectly defendable. Now, <clears throat> we don't know why films started getting bad. I can give you an actual answer to the audio problem if you'd like it. Well, go on then. So Vox did a really good video about this where they went and interviewed people in the industry and asked them this question. And the fundamental issue is that, well, in the olden days, where you would see the movie, you would see it in the cinema and on your TV. It's yeah. the only two ways. Yeah. Whereas in the modern age, not only have you got a litany of different kinds of computer, you've got your phone for Christ's sake and everything else. Yep. So people who were doing the editing for the audio decided that their standard should be the cinema experience, which of course has also massively changed from what it used to be. Because now you have this ridiculous surround sound systems that cost like 20 grand or whatever. In which yeah. case, if that's the standard for the movie, that obviously isn't going to work on any other platform. Because if you're doing right. it for that kind of specialization, no one actually has a cinema in their house. That's mad. Yeah, but I do have a surround system and I still can't hear. You don't have it to the quality of a professional cinema. No, that's true. And the, the problem being that once you specialize that much, if you then try to apply it to anything else, it bollocks. And it gets particularly bad right. when you're dealing with, like you say, Christopher Nolan's films. Because he's, he's known as the worst one in this case. 
it's deafening in the cinema and then when you get it home it just sounds flat so, so that that is an explanation but it's not a good explanation but if you sit and make a project so if you sit and actually yeah. make a thing you'll not you'll find this yourself because i have it with my youtube videos where i'll make a thing and it sounds perfect on my headphones on my computer and then i'll watch it on my phone and it's crap uh, uh, okay i gotta go back and fix this because it's got to work on multiple platforms uh, it's an explanation but not an excuse well okay that's an explanation on the sound thing but my, my broad point is that films were good before you know 2010 and bad afterwards that that that's that's the view on this right <clears throat> and we don't know why that happened but i want to coincidentally show you some figures if, if we go to the next one right so this is a snapshot of the filmmaking process measured between 2011 and 2020 and it's divided up into various categories so we've got women and we've got men and then we've got bipoc and we've got white. Now, I don't actually know what BIPOC means. Black I'm... indigenous people of color. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh, I thought it was blacks, Indians, Pakistanis, Orientals, and Chilis. Chilis? Well, you... Mexicans. Mexicans have got to be in there somewhere, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. You could've, you could've All said, the spicy people. You could have said commies. Right. Oh, yeah, yes. Yes, commies. Okay. No, they're they're right. not people. Uh, no, that's a bit. Back to the drawing board. Right, anyway. So, <clears throat> point is, we don't know why things went downhill, but coincidentally, I will just point your attention to the fact that the category of men, men went down massively, right? And um, oh, the other category is whites. They, they went down. So basically, white men received an absolute culling. Genuinely, for the superhero films as well, yeah. there's a reason that they've been written really poorly by female writers, and that's because the way in which men and women write and consume media is very different. Uh, this is the same way that they play with toys when they're younger. Men aspire to be like this character. Women yes. inhabit the shoes of that character and make the character like them. Like if you give right. a young girl an action man, she'll have action man playing tea and action man going to the shops. And if you give a young boy action man, yeah. he'll do action man things. And so if you're trying to write superheroes, you have the men writing the superheroes with big bombastic fight scenes and, and struggling and yeah. being victorious. When you get it with women, you'll get it about affirmation and empowerment and them standing around talking and the audience falling to sleep. Yes. Yes. More, more women and more BIPOCs coincidentally just lines up, doesn't it? Yeah, quite. But, but yeah, yes, good point. So, so modern films, we've got the problem. I can't hear you, as we've covered. Um, I can't see you because you're doing these jump cuts and you're doing these pissing lens flares all over the place. Everything has got a lens flare in it now. Oh, it's a J.J. Abrams effect. Yes. You, you go back and you watch old movies and they don't have any of them. Um, they're, they're fisting narratives down your throat the entire time. The characters are forgettable. Like If, if you think of any old movie and think of the characters, you, each character is distinct. Modern movies, you, you, you can never distinguish one from the other after you've watched it. Like all the, all yeah. the assembled cast of Predator or The Running Man or yes. Aliens, you remember all of the people even though they die off and have limited yes. screen time. But I, I forget some of the Avengers names. Yeah, yeah, yes, quite. Yes, this, this, this is my exact point. And, and plus the storylines are just bad. So if we go to the next one, I'll, I'll give you, because this came up yesterday, Star, Starship. That's Truth. an excellent film. Yeah, that's, that's despite, a film. Despite the intent of the creator. Well, yes, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a very good film, that. He, he tried to ruin it, but he couldn't. He actually, he actually made a good film. So I sat down with the missus last night and watched this because it's, because it's obviously in the, it's in the air at the moment. You did a segment on it yesterday, Callum. Um, and um, so some things jumped out at me for a start. I mean, the first thing, we were a few minutes into the movie, and I had to pause it and say to the wife, white people. 
<laughs> like an Indian in the plains. Yes. White people have been here. <laughs> no, no, there was there was representation in the film. If I'm using Malinga, right? There was representation in the film, but broadly proportional to the overall population, right? Not not like sixty percent BIPOC. Yeah. Right. So the second thing is femininity in this film done right. That that uh, the Denise Richards. That's yeah, fascist. She's hot. Oh yeah, she's yeah, but she's. She's a she's a strong, capable woman who's like talented, all that stuff. But she's still feminine and doesn't resent the men. Yes, or no, try and, to and she smiles. Yes. She smiles at people. Like we're, we're, you never you never see women in movies smiling anymore because they have to be these grim faced harridans with like suffering through impression. Specifically in Captain Marvel, in the deleted scene, one man yes. asks her to smile, and she decides to break his arm with cosmic energy and steal his motorcycle. Yes, quite. And she's yes. the hero. Yes. Plus, Starship Troopers. Every character is memorable. Like even. Even that dude who was like hitting on his girl, who then becomes the flight instructor of the girl who smiles, you know the the even the secondary characters in the barracks, you know one with the spiky hair and the big fat one who wants to fight the the instructor, the instructor, you know all, all of the brown, yeah, yeah, even even the school teacher with missing arm, you know, like all of the characters are perfectly memorable. And even though I hadn't watched it for about twenty years until last night, I still remembered all of those characters. It's visually Whereas, distinct. The, yes. the, the effects as well are mostly practical. That makes a big difference because they, yes. they have a distinct aesthetic and they don't mm. date themselves as much as bad CGI does. Like, Have you gone back and watched yes. the old Mummy films at any point? Oh, yes. When The Rock turns yeah. into the Scorpion King and it looks worse than the PlayStation 1. Yes. Just, just go yes. with practical effects. Really bad. Um, and the other thing that I really liked is is you could hear the dialogue and it has some memorable lines. So the one I really like is when that the, the second female, the, the redhead, when she's dying and she turns to Johnny and she says, it's okay because I got to have you. So that I had to immediately stop the movie and tell my wife, right, 30 years from now when you're on your deathbed, I want you to say that to me and then immediately die. Because that is just... I've seen what you eat for lunch. <laughs> She's living out living you, mate. That is the perfect exit for, for, for the wife. Anyway, right. so you know, the point is, right, movies are, are done. We cannot let the, the movie people do movies anymore. We have to make our own movies. So I'm going to talk to you about Sora AI. But before I do that, let's just quickly recap on where where um, AI video has come from. Let's go to the next one. So this is, uh, for those who are listening, this is the famous um, Will Smith eating spaghetti. Uh, this was a, this was like 18 months ago where video generation was. So Did they, you know, did they map Will Smith's face onto John from The Office doing his lunch? <laughs> Love no, you, John. That, don't turn off my mic. <laughs> no, that is, um, yeah, it's, it's not very good. If we go to the next one, as you can see, video has uh, wow. in, 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 improved somewhat. That's impressive. Yeah. Uh, his, his fingers are still a bit weird because they can't really do hands that well. Yes. But... So, so do you want the, the biggest head trip of this? Go on. That, that is actually real video. Also oh, right. That himself. Oh, okay. But that's the thing. It's like when you, when you watch it, it's like you think, oh, yeah, this, this is where AI is now. It's, it's, I mean, that's a, that's a bit cheeky. But the point is that you can put up normal videos these days and people think they're AI. His finger's really just that weird. Yeah. Okay. It's a thing. Anyway, so let's go to Sora AI, the, the, the next one there. Right? Let, John, why don't you scroll down and just, just entertain us with some videos when, when you come across one? But, you know, this is, this is now the standard of um, videos that you can just, that just you know, uh, go along. I think, I think they autoplay when you move down to them, but, you know, there are some other ones. Uh, yeah, I think it will just autoplay. They're not. 
They're not auto-playing. Oh, okay. There we go. It's because we ah, there we play go. off. There we go. Oh, here we go. So, yeah. You, so, that's, that's an old Western scene. Um, completely AI-generated. Wow. That is impressive. Yeah. Let's, let's skim through some more. and um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to them for the... Uh, what was that? Is it a gnome making a garden or something? But, um, this is amazing audio for the listeners. Yes. <laughs> let's do another. Let's do another one. Uh, well, that's a, oh, that's a person's eye, but th- that detail is. I mean, it's across the uncanny valley, isn't it? Yes. That's almost perfect, frankly. Oh yeah. There's there's no way you'd be able to tell if you, yeah, if you didn't have have the clue. Well, the implications of this right. are unsettling. Like number one, yes. it could kill Hollywood, so that's good. That's well, great. Here is that. Yes. But if it really is that high fidelity. Yeah. Then we cannot tell the difference between fake and real. So that's going to yes. have really disastrous impact. I mean, look at that. I mean, that is. So we're now which, watching a street scene in Lewisham. Yeah, I was about to say London. Yeah, and um, <laughs> and, and it's just it's just indistinguishable. The, the characters, the city scene, the people sitting having Stopic a drink together. Buildings. Yeah, I mean, it's just it it is basically perfect. And what we've got here, we've got a uh, oh some. Some pandas. So this is this is more Pixar style, but oh yeah, you'll be able to make not disturbing yes. and degenerate kids movies. Yes, that's right. Yes, that don't try and turn your kids gay. Exactly. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, but then the other implication is that nobody is ever going to have a shared experience again. Well, I don't know about that. You see, I've been thinking about this, and you see, the problem the problem with AI generation as it stands at the moment is the AI doesn't know what it's just done. It generates it, but it doesn't know. So you can't edit it. You can't. You can't generate that, right? And then say to it afterwards, "Okay, do the whole thing again, except make it wintry or something." It will generate a completely different, yes, bunny thing. Um, so you you can't you can't you can't redo anything. Um, so you need to be able to edit it. Um, and and it's essential to be able to make fine edits if you're putting together a, a, a proper project. And you can't go, you can't like make even if this thing because it's only a minute at the moment. Even if it became like two hours, you wouldn't be able to just go back and insert one more scene because you have to regenerate the entire thing, or you get completely different assets. So a lot of people think that AI movies, when you know, a couple of years from now, it will be you just put in a prompt like. Oh, I don't know. Um, I want to remake your kindergarten cop in the hybrid style of Warhammer 40K and Bollywood. What, what, Press what, a button and it just pops up. What a realistic one would be, for example, is remake the Iron Man movie, but if Tom Cruise had played Iron Man as planned rather than Robert Downey Jr. So you'll be able to like recast yes. whole films that you actually like. With I don't know movie. if I'd bother typing that out. That seems a bit... Yeah. Well, someone will. Yeah. You know. yes. But the, the, the point is, a lot of people think that you know that AI movies are just going to be like typing a prompt and it's going to generate whole movies. Because things AI is... It's, it's remarkable in some senses, but its creative capacity is not... I mean, it's if you ever tried to make it do a joke or anything like that, or write a short story. I mean, it kind of gets the concept, but not, but not really, not, not in a human way. So what I think will happen is in the next two to three years, there will be a package of AI tools that when put together will enable you to make a proper movie. But it will be a lot of work. Quite a lot of work. But it'll be a lot less work yes. than paying multiple hundreds of millions of dollars yes. for actors who are up themselves and BIPOC female writers who just want to write about themselves giving you a product that sucks and bombs up. Yes, fisting a narrative down your throat, all that right. kind of stuff. So what I'm envisaging is that, you know, if you want to produce a movie in a few years, you get these package of tools, right? And what you'll have to do is, you first of all, you need to write the story and then you'll need to turn that into a screenplay and you'll have to be really, really detailed. 
right? Then you have to write up each character in detail, not just their description, but you know their temperament, um, how they react to situation, what's going on in their head at any particular point, um, you know their emotional baggage, all of that kind of stuff. You need to write it up in details. You'll need to describe the world and the aesthetic in it will detail. Still be a job. Was that? It will still be a job's worth. But there'll be less yeah exactly. Jobs. So I, it's I, like. Um, most of the internet. I mean, anyone can make some stuff, yes. but most people who even try, and that's not most people, yeah. fail. Yes. And it's a very small creme de la creme that's even worth looking at. And then the actual mm. good stuff is even smaller. But my point is, it will take you at least 12 months, I think, to get to the point where you're ready to start even touching the AI tools. And most people won't have the, the patience to do that, right? And then once you've fed it into your um, AI tools, well, first of all, you'll need a set of AI tools that can produce persistent assets because at the moment if you if you generate a character and then regenerate it, it will be a different character so you need a set of tools that will give you your your character so you'll start developing your characters and your backgrounds right and then you'll need another set of tools that can go in and make edits afterwards and maybe this will all be integrated into one package or something but like at the moment we sometimes generate stuff on mid-journey don't we and then we have to take it over into photoshop in order to make fine edits on it and stuff like that because you know the one ai doesn't do it so i think really that whole process, I mean, the AI generation bit might take like an hour to generate a, a 4K, you know, two-hour movie. But, but you need to put in a year either side of like prepping it all up, very quickly make the movie, and then another year of doing the editing stuff that sort of all comes down behind it. Yeah. Are you noticing or, something? Well, no, it just looks fantastic. I mean, oh, again, yeah. I, I think these things are evil, but that's really cool. Uh, yeah. But having said all that, by the time you train people up within a year to get used to the prompt system and you have the Oh no, a bunch of autists will figure it out. Exactly. But but yeah. people people need to have it to be second nature. And by yeah. the time you have all the software that allows you to edit it all in one finely tuned package and have permanent assets, going forward, you won't have to spend a year to two years on filming in set locations, yes. uh, hire, different work. Cat catering, salaries, travel. Distribution. Yes. All of that kind of well, so so my thinking is right, okay, and and to your point, Callum, most of it is going to be bad, right? Yeah, well, most things that everyone already makes are bad. Yes, I mean your point about the movies suddenly getting bad. I mean, there's some truth in that, but yeah. the vast majority of all creative works are bad. Yes. No one looks at them. Yes, I think the statistic is like 99% of YouTube has less than 100 views. So I went even Shit. I went even Great further, isn't it? I went even further, Mike, because I think that putting a good AI movie together in a couple of years when the tool set is co complete will be at least, if not more, difficult than make, writing a novel. Right? And writing a novel takes a couple of years, right? How many novels are produced in the English-speaking world? About 300,000 a year. Okay. Way too many. So let's say that only um, a tenth of 1%, so one in a thousand novels, are good. Seems reasonable, doesn't it? Yeah. 0.1%. I, 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 I don't think it takes a couple of years, but... Write a novel? Yeah, most most well. If you were doing if you were doing eight hours a day of writing, it would probably take you about six months to do about four hundred pages, something like that. Well, if you bang it out in one go, yeah. But let, let, let's say okay, between between one and two or three years, whatever, depending how fast you are. So I think it's that level of effort. But anyway, the point is, three hundred thousand novels produced every year, and if you can go to that much detail, you can probably generate an AI movie. You just need to do you know uh, screenplays and scripting and, and prompting and all the rest of it that comes with it. So that means that we should be soon getting three three hundred really good movies a year that come through this process. So then all you need is you need a really good discovery system so that the best ones float to the top in a monetization system. You won't need that. That just happens naturally. 
Like once someone stumbled across something really good, they share it. Well, yeah, That's how things have always worked. So, but we've probably got those already. Was my point. So, I mean, you something like X, for example, it will float the best stuff to the top and it will monetize it. Sure. I mean, back in the so, day, people used to share what was it, actual VHSs. Yeah. Like the, the sharing of good content isn't the hard bit. I mean, to be honest, all yeah. of this is fantastic news for filmmakers because, I mean, like you say, you're just saving on sets, you're saving on actors, blah, 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 blah. But the people who are actually making the film and the editors, they're going to have a great time. Like, their jobs aren't changing. It's just a different way of making the film. Yes, this is just a disaster for every lovey that's currently studying to be an actor and isn't classically trained and can't translate over to the stage where people want to see real things. Yes. Because your job will be defunct. Yeah. Well, there will be a demand for that, but it'll just be way lower. Very scarce, yeah. But if you're willing to put the effort in, you'll be able to do that yourself is, is kind of what I'm getting at. So I think we're going to enter a new golden age of film um, where anyone who's willing to put in you know, a year or two or three of hard work will be able to produce something which is excellent and will float to the top. Well, so I, don't know about, I don't know about golden age. I think you'll be able to yeah. curate your own experiences in a much better way. So there's going to be a lot of rubbish but slightly yeah. less but as, as, as long as the good stuff floats to the top. And it, so that prompts me to think, okay, this is, this is my sort of second question, is if you could make a movie, what movie would you make? That's a, now, that's a question to the audience. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not going to ask you to, because I've actually already decided on your behalf what oh. movies would be. So can we, go to, can we go to Callum's movie? So I thought Three Taliban and a Baby would be a project that you might want to spend a couple of years on. But why are all no. the Taliban babies? Wait, it's supposed three to be... babies and a Taliban. He's actually uh, 17 years old. Well, I grew the beard. Th three Taliban and a baby. Anyway, th uh, that would be our thought. And for and for and for for Connor's Go effort, on, I thought there's something about Mary H. Anyway, moving swiftly on. <laughs> I wanted to make the ears bigger, but I couldn't. Oh, I couldn't figure out how to do it. You're such a dick. <laughs> Oh, I'm sending them that. All right. Well, I guess we'll move on. Yeah. Need my. Oh yes. Yep. It's time for the rations to be redistributed. Ah. All righty. So, I want to talk about some things that people just can't come back from. I think it's a lesson to be learned in engaging online at all. At some points, it, it just give up. Is is my advice to some folks, and you'll see what I mean by this. Specifically, we shall begin with Cracker Barrel. Now, we were doing Lads Hour, and I remembered that Cracker Barrel used to basically get bombarded every single day, no matter what they posted, for the last 20 years because they once fired someone who was Brad's wife and this blew up into a massive joke. And then we went onto Cracker Barrel's Twitter page and you may notice they deleted almost everything. Like these posts, the most recent ones of 2016, 2017, it's all gone. And I think Cracker Barrel have, have learned the lesson, which is give up. It's over. I mean, this is a, an American restaurant and they, they've just decided to quit social media because they just got harassed every single day constantly that they fired Brad's wife. Why not just engage with it? Like, w Wendy's do uh, engagement they, with people that make memes in their conversations, don't they? You're right, but after 20 years and it's still not stopped <laughs> and it's the same bloody joke. I mean, if you don't know what I'm talking of, Internet Historian did a great video about this and I guess we'll, uh, we'll play a little bit to get the explanation for people who haven't. Because I have no idea what this is about. All right, so basically Brad Here's a wife. Brad's wife worked at Cracker Barrel. He was there, she was there for 11 years of service and then was fired. And Brad, being a boomer, made some really schizoid posts on Facebook being like, oh, this boy is storming about my wife being fired at Cracker Barrel. Why did you do it? 
and this blew up because it looks stupid. But then right. the American boomers got hold of this, and, and it was funny for far too long for them. Five. The template of the joke was simple and spreadable. Promoting desserts, are we? Brad's wife used to love desserts. New item on the menu? Brad's wife would have made it twice as good. Today we remember 9-11. Brad's wife used to love 9 -11. Okay, not that. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the thing was that came out of this is it, it blew up into real life as well. So other brands started taking the piss out of Cracker Barrel, and then people started turning up to the Cracker Barrels to harass the staff. The streets. People made posters, signs, and t-shirts. And they even started visiting the restaurant just to ask about Brad's wife. Who's Brad? Well, Brad's not important, but his wife, they fired her after 11 years of service. I don't know what you're talking about. After 11 years. On his birthday. Is that, I heard about that. That yep. was terrible. Yeah, now there's a wait time in here. Oh, it's a long time. Cause Brad's wife isn't here. Brad could. The point being, um, the people who were taking part never stopped doing the joke. It went on and on. I mean, this this video here from Internet Historian is five years old, and it it was still going on on Cracker Barrel. I mean, she Brad's wife was fired seven years ago, and it just just keeps going, just keeps on going, and. Whenever Cracker Barrel is mentioned, I mean, even the subreddit for Cracker Barrel is just talking about Brad's wife, even two years ago, they're still posting about it. She deserves justice. What's going on with Brad's wife? Blah, 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 blah. Jokes that will not die. And Cracker Barrel deleted everything. <laughs> like it's, not, it's not a glitch on Twitter. They actually, about a year ago, just had enough. And have now gone. They know they're not coming back from Brad's wife. It can't be done. Because the Zoomers and whatnot, like the joke is funny and then it's, you know, quickly not funny and, oh, actually, yes. before it was cool. And then no one. But boomers it. just never stop. They're like the Terminator. Boomers. Oh, God. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, you know, that's funny for all time. It keeps going. And as you can see here, I mean, Matthew over here in 2019 yes. was writing, great things happen when Brad's wife was here, 11 years of service. Just carrying on, carrying on. And, um, you know, goes on. Brad's wife loved giving a helping hand. Deleted this one here. They were responding to a problem in the restaurant. They were like, you know, Brad's wife wouldn't make this a problem. Like, okay. okay, boys. So that's, that's where they just they gave up. Because right. what are you going to do? And if you look up, even though Cracker Barrel have deleted everything, I mean, there's some guy called White here who is still harassing them about Brad's wife. But he's not the only one. There are plenty of other people who are still just posting about Brad's wife every few days, even though there's nothing to post to anymore. I mean, it's like, um, I don't know if you know internet comment etiquette. But he had a, a good thing, which is even if the comments are closed on a page, as they, a YouTube video, they close the comments. That doesn't mean the comments are closed everywhere. So just go and find something else where that company or aspect still exists. So whatever this one is, it's just like, yeah, uh, you know that post from 2017? Brad's wife in 2024. Just, just never, never ends. But the point being that I discovered that Cracker Barrel had taken the advice, which I think is probably sound, which is when you are too mean, there's nothing you can do. You just lay down, it's over, accept it, you're dead. And Cracker Barrel, a major corporation, decided um, social media, in the garbage. It's not going to engage anymore. Social media manager was presumably fired, let go. Yes. None of their outlets post anything about but any of I do of hope the social media manager's husband wasn't called Brad, because otherwise it's <laughs> pounding the problem. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to Daisy's wife? It just yeah, yeah, it would go on forever and ever. And the reason I bring this all up is not just because I discovered that and that was interesting to see, is that, well, there's another company that seems to 
need this advice, which is to give up. Right. Bud Light. Um, Remember them? Yeah. Unfortunately. The biggest drunk beer in all of the United States by yeah, a wide even, margin. There are even pubs in Swindon that, that carry this still. Yeah, which um, is amazing, frankly. Now, for those who don't know, all five of you, um, Bud Light decided to do a deal with um, this person to advertise their product. Can we not say the name? Is it like Trans Voldemort? Well, you have to be careful because if you if you dead name them or get it confused or they there, but but it, but it hasn't changed its name yet. I'm gonna have to censor some of this. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> Am I used? I, I can never bloody remember the rules around. But them. the name the name is still Dylan. I yeah, is the it? name is Dylan, but I, I don't want to talk about the subject matter because of YouTube. Oh, right. But that gives you everything you need to know, doesn't it? Yes. And what happened is that they're still being haunted by the fact that they dared to do the sponsorship with this person because of the obvious reasons. And um, so the stock, I just checked the stock for the company because we call Bud Light is one of their beers. Uh, what is it? Bud Bush or Big Birdie? Anheuser-Busch. Yeah. Weird name that I can't pronounce. Um, they're still down 9%. So there's that. That's the entire company. But if you go to Bud Light specifically, I mean, like the stats on Bud Light used to be ridiculous. I mean, look at this. These are cases of uh, beer sold in the United States. Yeah. As you can see, Bud Light just utterly dominating. Like it, it, it was the beer. Ah, uh, 2012. So this was around the time where they were getting Mark Wahlberg to drink it in product placements in Transformers. That's also the time in movies was still good. No, before Transformers that. 4. Was it? <laughs> Transformers 4 was not good. But then you've got Budweiser and then Coors Light and all the rest of them and it's just kind of irrelevant and falls off. Yes. But as you can see, like $5 billion there just in, in 2012 alone. And um, They well, were quite dominant then, weren't they? And then they did this. And since April 1st, this is Bud Light sales declining whop, whop. every week yeah. consistently for a long time. So what is that? Almost 30% down? So you go from $5.5 billion. Let's just assume the number was the same. That would mean you're down to now $4 billion. $1.5 billion worth of income just wiped out. And they, and they still haven't apologized. Did they, yeah. fire, did they fire the person who made the ad? Or Yes. Oh, okay, there's that then. And they fired one other executive that was involved in it as well. Because, um, yeah, I don't think their salary is worth $1.5 billion, whatever that was. Because that's... Yeah. Think of what you could do with $1.5 billion and then losing that. Yeah. I mean, I know when you're dealing with large sums of money, things get weird, but that's, that's just mind-boggling, to say the least. But legitimately, it did actually destroy their market share. Like it was not just a, a small thing. Like it actually did amazing numbers. Because uh, what's the headline out of this? America's top beer for decades is now the second, following the LGBTQ plus backlash. Well, it's it's worse than that. In case you're wondering, because um, they did everything they could. You may remember they they got rid of people, and then they tried to turn around and be like, oh, well, well, the beer for straight people. Straight people drink this. Didn't they do another advert of horses again to try and? Capture the magic of the 9-11 one they did ages ago. Yeah. And it's like, do you do you like the, the Wild West? Do you like sports? We're, we're beer. Drink it. But of course, the damage is done. The Brad's wife moment has already happened. Mm. And instead, you're just the gay piss water. Which is why even when Donald Trump Jr. came out to try and defend them, it's like, well, did he? No. The reason is... I'm not going to take your advice. Anheuser-Busch were historically large Republican donors. He Should, did say... Shouldn't he, have done that deal. He, he did say that we should call the boycott off now because they're a patriotic company. Mm. No. Yeah, that, that doesn't follow. Yeah, Red Don Jr. L there. Yeah, this is where the right loses pretty consistently. But it, it's gone on quite a bit. I mean, I just found a post here. So as you see, it's from 2023. The backyard is calling. Like, they're just trying to do... Sounds like a euphemism. Very normie posts where it's like, you know, beer, happiness. You could be happy if you drink our gay water. And everyone's just like, but it's gay. 
<laughs> uh, I'm not gay, <laughs> so I won't be drinking the gay water. Very sorry. Yes. And that was at the time. And, you know, it goes on and on. I mean, this is another one where they're just like, remember our beer? Remember that? And it's like, no one is drinking your gay piss water. No one. Time to shelve the brand and move on with your lives. Like, huh. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Goes on and on. This is in August. There's just people still posting months after the fact. It's like, hey, this could be us. Remember 4th of July? Remember patriotism? I'm not gay. Sorry. <laughs> What about that Channel 4 woman? Does she still get... So what you're saying is... Yeah, Kathy Newman, yeah. Yeah, does she still get that as a response to Absolutely. every tweet? Absolutely. Right, good. You've you've had the Brad Wife moment. You, the, all you can do is delete the account. But you yes. can't even do the thing of not posting for a month and then coming back. Yeah. Because you're, you're too mean. You're, you're too gone yes. in this sense. I mean, like this one here, they're celebrating 13 days or something. I don't care. And everyone... Quiet, maybe. Yeah, got, got ratioed again with people just going gay beer. Why is it a gay beer? It's for gays. <laughs> it's just... Because <laughs> the thing about those types of memes as well, the Brad's wife one, the, this what are you saying uh, thing with Kathy Newman and also gay water, is that it's very, very simple, very tribal and very orcish. And at that point, you've got no comeback. Hmm. There, is, there is literally nothing you can do because the strength of the joke is just too strong. Yeah, that market is impenetrable to you now. It, yeah. It's over. That's, that's August. Well, October, still people just posting, like, why are you gay? They're like, yeah, remember the NFL? Remember, remember sports? You know what real men do? And they're like, nah, nah, you're, you're a gay guy. Have you seen the NFL's gay. pride announcement from last year? They did their rainbow logo and they literally tweeted out an infographic that said, the NFL is gay. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> that's a hell of a way to promote it to the fans. Like Bud Light are sponsoring yeah. it. So it goes on, November. Uh, the news came out. Stephen Crowder discovered that because initially uh, Bud Light tried to claim that oh, we didn't do a we didn't do a paid sponsorship. They just like our beer, and then it came out. No, you gave you gave that person one hundred and eighty five thousand US dollars, and to Neil Patrick Oops. Harris as well, who is also famously gay. But no one has uh, that much of an interest in Neil Patrick. One hundred eighty five thousand dollars for wearing a dress in a bath drinking a beer. Yes, the production values weren't even good. No, that's right. transphobic. That is. That is amazing money, is all I'm making the point with this. Is like, good lord. I mean, 245000 for Jenna Ortega in a bath. Fair <laughs> enough. For how long? Dan's <laughs> in his 40s. It's only going to be 10 seconds. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, that came out in November, at which point, uh, yet again, everyone just started responding with, gay, you are gay, you are a gay beer for gay people. It's like, huh? Yeah, that's... um. That's a lot of damage that you're not going to get over exactly. December, still gay. It's just gay juice. Sincerely, I don't think Bud Light can come back from this. Oh, Peyton Manning as well doing the sponsorship. Ooh, he used to be a very famous quarterback in the NFL. And... Is he calling his rent boy then? Because or, or, <laughs> what, what? that's exactly the point, is it's too easy. Because they keep trying <laughs> to get manly men as their symbols. But of course, muscly manly men is our brand. It's also a bit gay. So I don't really yeah. want to. Oh, yeah, he's, he's, no, he's, got, he's got his socks on, so that's not gay. Like, actually, the response you would do, like, if you were being accused of being gay, the, the thing you would do is stop doing gay stuff. Like, you, you wouldn't keep wearing pink and whatnot and, and flapping about. Instead, yeah. you would get lots of hot women and just put them front and center. And be like, our brand, hot yes. women. That's, that's 0% gay. Yes. But instead, they went with uh, dudes and bros hanging out on long phone calls 
Well, at, at least if hot women do a bit of gayness, it's the good kind. So we should get Dan to be Bud Light's entire marketing department. He'll oh yes, I'd, I'd, save it. I'd nail it completely. But they're just going to name women, and you'll be like, mm, yes, yes, mm. no, yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I mean, you, you make a great point about that fact, which is that what are you going to do? Literally, what are you going to do? Because yeah. they seem to be incapable of taking that good advice of, well, just have some hot women. Stop, stop being such a queer man. And, well, but, um, but they are fixable. So, okay, so Bud Light, what you do is you, you issue an apology, you make a massive donation to that Christian school that the, tra- that the, that the person who, who is now def- the tranny shot up, right? And then, that too. And then you, and, and did I say the hot girls? You do that, right? And, and with, with Cracker Barrel, you just rehire Brad's wife, for God's sakes. <laughs> Whatever you need to pay her. Yeah, you just go hunt down Brad's wife and give her a million dollars and be like, please, please. We like having yes. a social media outlet. So all, all of this is fixable. It's it's on the table, but Crackabout didn't take that solution. Mm. Will Bud like take that solution? I do not think so. Maybe Brad's wife is just negotiating really hard and just <laughs> playing hardball. <laughs> but here we go. This is January, in which they make a very boring tweet about beers and football. And again, the comments are all just you gay. <laughs> and it's just good. What are you going to do exactly? I yes. mean, like we've come up with a solution actually, but they're not going to be there, I suppose. Um. I remember they actually tried to have, what was it, The Rock? I think it was The Rock. They offered to pay a million dollars. And he issued a statement saying that I'm not going to save your woke brand. I don't really. I'm surprised if The Rock said that because The Rock endorsed Biden and he's a major Democrat. It might not have been The Rock. It might have been, I don't know, John Wayne or or whoever else. Well, because I know know that they have now officially partnered with the NFL and Dana White. But there we are. They're taking Bud Light sponsorships. Maybe, yes, get the hot women. It's not hard. Just stop being gay. It's, it's not difficult. Just <laughs> stop doing gay things if you don't want to be called the gay beards. It's not, not difficult advice, but there we are. But it moves on. Um, if you want to look up Bud Light today and the word gay, I mean, even, what is this, like 14th? They're still just getting constantly whatever they do. You are a homosexual. Why are you gay? Who says I'm gay? You are gay. Like, it just, just never stops. And there we are. I mean, that's sort of the, the message to learn, which is once you've been hit this hard, it's probably time to quit. And I have some more statistics on all this. I mean, oh God, I just found another one, which is they're trying to desperately be like, look, comedian, you know, cool people. And they're just like, nah, you gay, still gay. But the reality on the ground still seems to be the fact that they can't even get their beer out to football fans, even though they're obsessed with sponsoring football again, which is yeah, not, not the best way to solve the, the gay problem. Women is the best way to solve the gay problem. Association of your brand. This is a lady here, and she's not um, the only one. I remember at the time people talking about the fact that they had to give the beer away for free. So they were offering you buy fifteen dollars worth of Bud Light, and you get a coupon for fifteen dollars off something else. Yeah. The wholesalers were just abandoning the product. They were just like, just get it off the shelves. It's not worth. Also, it. is that the girl from the airplane? Airplane? No, it's not the same one. But it's not real. <laughs> I choose to believe it is. Okay. But, no, I remember a whole bunch of other guys showing that they were taking off the, the pumps for Bud Light because just the customers weren't buying it. Yeah. And in fact, fights were breaking out because a guy would order Bud Light and the guy next to him would be like, what are you, gay? And then they just fight about who was gay physically. So anyway, I have come up with a correct advert for Bud Light. So I, I, ha- I, ca- I haven't put this into the show notes, but if you're, if you're watching at home, what you need to do is you need to basically go into YouTube and type in Denise Richards and Nev Campbell wild thing kiss moment, <laughs> right? And basically have, have a Bud Light logo. Over yeah, it. have that with Bud Light at the bottom. Job done. 
not hard. But yeah. you can see here, I mean, the boycott has still continued well into the year. Let's play this. Oh, the audio. Light anymore. Look, it's even got the cap. I usually have one or two people a day, if that. But all my Bud Light drinkers switched to Landshark. What did your Bud Light drinker switch to? Because when these people said they were boycotting the Bud Light, I did not believe them. I really didn't. And they were serious about it. They still ain't drinking it to this day. And they're not going back. We have some data on this. The most recent statistics came out, and even CNN reported on this back in October. And the, the details from this are bad. So the whole corporation has a 13% uh, downward turn in sales for the third quarter. So still in October. So you remember the, the boycott started in April. Even in October, they're still getting massive downturns. It's not stabilized. It's yes. still dropping off. As more and more men learn that this is a gay thing, stop it. Yes. And get into fights over it. So they say that the sales to U.S. retailers declined 17%, quote, primarily due to the volume decline of Bud Light. In response, the company cut deals with wholesalers, including writing checks to distributors and increasing marketing spending on the brand. So that's the, the football and whatnot. Yes. Which, again, not, not the correct strategy. Dan has the correct strategy yes. on that one. But they say, but it also took a toll on the company's bottom line and contributed to a 29% decline in adjusted U.S. earnings. So the whole corporation, just because of the Bud Light 17% reduction in sales just in that month, yeah. never mind the rest of it, they the lost op operational gearing effect in that you know that that last seventeen percent was generating a dis outsized proportion of their profits. Yeah, and now they're, they're what were the words? The earnings there twenty nine percent of it wiped out. Yes, and that's in October. Now John sent me something which is even more recent, which is the Super Bowl, and well, this is just a, a thing talking about the Corona is now the number one drink. I remember when everyone was thinking that would have terrible PR because of the virus, but you know, never mind. Throw that out. Just, just don't do gay things. Not that hard. But anyway, mm. the, the thing in here is that they quote, Corona de dethroned AB's Bud Light, which was the top seller on sales for well, years. And the sales of Bud Light at the Super Bowl plummeted 50%. 50%. <laughs> it's just gone. Good. So of the football people, Yes. The people who would go and see the football. 50% of them who drank Bud Light before are just not. It's still quite weird that the other 50% are still drinking it, though. Yeah. Well, you, you know, just the, feel like a right fag walking around with a Bud Light. <laughs> sense of that, too. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there are gay guys. Yeah, gay guys want to drink their stuff. That's fine. But at least now, at least now we know. I wonder if it'll become a thing. You know, like in the gay community, there's all these, like, uh, dog whistles. There's people talking about like hang oh, yes. which side you have the earring on or the handkerchief or whatever else. Yes. Like maybe Bud Light will just become that. Yes. It's so if if you see if you see another man with a Bud Light, it's like you you know to follow into the follow into the <laughs> room. Or maybe. I'll, I'll leave it there. But my point being that if if you are Bud Light or you run a social media uh, campaign. Or you're gay. Uh, well, if you're gay, enjoy Bud Light. If you're not, then yes. uh, maybe don't. But the the problem being that if you run a social media campaign or have a social media outreach and you get memed this hard, like Cracker Barrel or Bud Light, it's over. Just give it up. Just yeah. go home. Let's go to the video comments. Mm. Dan, this one is for you. Remember your theory about the bad man, who's from Luton in Bedfordshire. Have you ever heard of Joanna Southcott? She was the centre of a Messianic cult. They believed that Bedford was the Garden of Eden and that she would give birth to the second coming. It turned out to be a fanny complaint and she died, but she left behind a box. And they say that until the box is opened by 24 bishops, everything in the world will continue going to crap. So I think you need to prove that your theory is correct 
and you need to get in Joanna's box. Just any well, Joanna? I mean, have you been in Joanna's box before, Dan? There, there was, I, th- I think there was quite a few innuendos in there. I, I think I'm going to have to watch that one again, and because I, I wasn't expecting that to be honest. <laughs> so, um, let me respond in the coming days to that one. Fair enough, because I'm confused. The next one. Evan Syatt lays out the flawed way liberals think, fundamentally stemming from their inability to discriminate. In fact, that word is so hateful to them that they turn every fibre of their moral code to enforcing indiscriminateness. Every principle must be applied indiscriminately, especially where it makes no sense. From this, Syatt is able to predict not what policies liberals would enact, but that they would have dire consequences. To make sure that indiscriminateness cannot undermine their mental health, liberals must render themselves forever intellectually infantile, hence the title of the book. So I've had this book recommended to me on a few gold Zoom calls before, and I do intend to read it. So I'm going to look up The Kindergarten of Eden after the podcast. If it's hard to get a hold of, anyone who does want us to read and review books, we do have a PO box, and you're more than welcome to send it to us. It's on the, was it Find Us page on the website? So we like free things. So Joanna Southcott's box is like a real thing. Why, have you turned off the safe search filter? No, it's, it's, like in, a, it's in a museum you- or something. Really? Yeah. It, get, carry on with the carry on with the video comments. I'm I'm working on this. An actual box or? Um, yeah, it, it it looks like a very old box and it's sort of held together with musty rope, and it's got a bit grey and frayed around the edges. Next video comment, please. Yeah. <laughs> there are LED screens available, so thin you can see through the backside. Mm. With tech so advanced, you'd think power armor would be a piece of cake. Well, I think that's because power armor, well, empowers people. And see-through LCD screens don't. And that's why I've been taking matters into my own hands. You look like you're about to throw the alien queen out of an airlock. Why why would you want a see-through TV, by the way? I've seen loads of these sort of demos, uh, these videos on, on Twitter, and where you can see it through to the other side. Why? Why would you pay extra? For, to have the picture also face the wall. I actually have no idea. I don't know what the point of that is. Maybe you have very, very expensive wallpaper behind the TV that you otherwise wouldn't see. Oh, is this in the Downing Street flat? Yes. Like, like that. that. Yeah, that was actually used to return to... Of course. You joke, but that is what I was getting at. Think back to the Civil War period in Japan, where the first thing the shogunate did after assuming the throne was forbid the serfs from ever moving ever again, pulling up the ladder behind him. I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that the modern project is that of modernizing feudalism, to which the movement of the common man is now the greatest obstacle yet remaining. Think back to the 1950s when they ran ads like, see the USA in your Chevrolet. They knew then that the car was the greatest means for the average man to ennoble himself. So is it any wonder why they're coming after it so hard today? Yeah, feudalism's base, but the way that they're trying to make us return to it is really cringe. So I'm against the global elite on this regard. I've been one. hearing you guys talk about rewilding a bunch, and I got into a conversation with my father recently, and he is passionately supportive of the concept of rewilding. He insists that basically there's too many deer, and wolves are the only way we can stop them. Apparently humans can't fight deer in any other way. Tangentially, I remember in Star Wars Clone Wars, there was like an episode where the CIS was trying to clear out resistance people on a planet, and basically started releasing loads of carnivorous monsters onto the planet that clear out the resistance fighters. 
Interesting how rewilding achieves the same result. You can do it with like birds of prey because they'll pick off the fawns when they're really young. So you don't need wolves because wolves are a really bad idea. But in certain nature reserves where you do have walled off areas, you can rewild that bit. That's fine. It's quite nice to visit occasionally. Seems easier and more fun to just popularize deer hunting. Like it's kind of annoying that it's not a massive thing in the UK because we've got a massive population of deer that need shooting. But they don't want us to own guns. That's the problem. It's like if you just give everyone guns and say, go and hunt deer. I'd like to hunt a deer. Yeah, like who wouldn't? Yeah. Sounds like great fun. Yes. So Someone edit the uh, Bambi's mum dying clip in here, please. Go on, Alex. Got the bastard. <laughs> this is for Dan. Uh, I've been thinking about how I'm going to give back. Uh, I'll be paying my mortgage off fairly soon. And I was... Uh, really inspired by a guy's uh, segment on the trailer parks. And yeah, I agree. It actually would be a nice lifestyle if the people were the right people. And I was thinking maybe I could found a small trailer park that is just for the people who are trying to get their first house, but are stuck in the rent spiral. Uh, all of their rent would go into an escrow account, which would help them with their down payment. Do, do you think something like that could be possible? I don't know, but send me a message. I was looking at some trailer parks in the UK and some of them are affordable, but the, the eternal problem is they're all holiday parks. So you're allowed to be there for 11 months. So a month of the year, you just got to disappear. Or they're where all the gypsies live. That's um, not great either. Not in the UK. I mean, the holiday ones is what I'm looking at. Yeah, but if, if you were going to try and live in a caravan that wasn't regulated by a holiday park, you would have to live with... Do what the gypsies do. Quite. Yeah. Um, and, and there's probably some law that stops you from selecting the people that goes in. Yeah. Anti-discrimination laws. Of, yeah, you know, and I wouldn't want to do the last bit, which is the the escrow thing he was talking about. Let, let just farm that out, otherwise you'll get into um, financial regulations. Though I do think with the cultivation of the beard, the self-sufficient farming he's doing, and now the creation of a, a yeah. trailer park community, he's basically setting himself up to his own Walking Dead uh, enclave. Like oh, he's, he's slowly cool. becoming a benevolent Negan. So yes, is becoming a gypsy a bad financial decision? Hello, Lotus is out of context. <laughs> no income tax. Steal whatever I need. That's not, I can, that's, that's not legal advice. And I can roam around the country as I please. Well, you can't really as you please because the police will fight with you and turf you off the land. Yeah, I just go from place to place. Mm. You know, let my dog crap everywhere. And Do you, do you not want a sense of permanence? Well, I'm not getting anyway, so... Yes. Perfect. I don't know, just being a jippo doesn't sound that bad. All right, let's go to the next one. Yeah. It's been a while since we've had the California news section, hasn't it? San Francisco unanimously approved a Chinese woman who isn't even a citizen to join the Elections Commission who decide how to run elections. She can't even vote. She only arrived in 2019 and has been in a civil rights group called Chinese for Affirmative Action. So yes, literally a Chinese supremacy group. This is allowed because in 2020, voters in the city voted on a measure to allow any non-citizen to serve on any city board. Well, thanks for the California news update. I always like hearing from California Refugee because his comments and video comments are always really thoughtful. Um, yeah, people will use affirmative action to exploit it to get advantages ceded to their ethnic in-group shock. This is the point about America. It's a republic if you can keep it. And they didn't keep it. It's not a republic anymore. Keep it. Ethnically and religiously homogenous should have been the clause yes. of that. Lads. I've seen in a couple of segments that you've mentioned that pensions are a pyramid scheme and are going to collapse. For the sake of using precise language, I need to highlight that you're explicitly talking about the state pension. Uh, we have three main types of pension here in the UK. There's private pensions, 
uh, and there's the state pension and private pensions are kind of split into two groups. Um, they're quite different from each other. Um, yes, the state pensions go to collapse, but private pensions aren't. Yeah, that's Highly. fine. Yeah, but also at our age, there's basically no reason to play into your private pension yet. Because if you're trying to get a house, which is a hard asset in your 20s, then that extra few hundred a month that you're going to spaff away on a private pension, meh. Yeah, I've, I've never bothered with a pension. If you're rich. Well, there was that, yeah. Is, is that all of the video comments? If, if, if so, can we go to Studio One on, on the discourse? Because I found have a some picture women. of Joanna's box. Okay. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Yeah. I've been dying to this. box. And it's, it, I, I, I'm, st- I'm starting to think now that my original reaction was a little bit off key because I don't, I don't think she was making an innuendo after all. There was zero innuendos in the whole thing. And I I, think she's yeah. actually talking about a physical box. <laughs> well, she was intending the innuendos, but yeah, she was also talking about the physical box. Right. I'll, I'll look into that one. Oh, should we, we've got some comments. Yeah, we have to actually talk to our viewers. That'd yes. Oh, um, well, somebody called Rebecca with a, with a hard A, or was it a soft A? Um, and anyway, on um, on Rumble uh, for twenty dollars says I was diagnosed with lupus in 1999. I had been on hydroxychloroquine for 20 years. April of 2020, my insurance company denied my prescription, say, saying hydroxy does not treat COVID 19. I have not had my treatment. You haven't that had it is, since. That's criminal. That is insane. She was on it for some other reason, and they stopped it just in case she might have wanted to use it for COVID. Living proof that the current thing can was a lot of so suffering and dying. So many people need to be jailed for the COVID nineteen stuff. Mm, quite yeah. Speaking of uh, Derek Powell, this whole thing is classic emotional abuse and manipulation. You wouldn't tolerate this nonsense if it was any in any kind of relationship. There would be a severe reckoning when the government does it, this thing. Yeah, I'm no pun intended. I'm not going to hold my breath for any accountability from the COVID inquiry. But quite, it does mirror an abusive relationship you would have with uh, a spouse that sort of pendulum swings backwards and forwards between moods and confines you and deprives you of your basic necessities. They are evil people, frankly. California refugee. The COVID show seems unrealistic. The nurses weren't dancing. Well, quite. But we're still paying for it anyway. Suits the red coat. It looks like a zombie movie. Yeah, that was that's quite interesting framing, isn't it? All of the, the pandemic close-up shots. It does look like the, the prelude to a zombie outbreak. Yeah. So, over-dramatized. I mean, everyone who fell for that stuff isn't, you know, sentient, so... Yeah. Captain Charlie the Beagle, good to hear from you. The proof to me that something was wrong about lockdowns was that the virus mysteriously vanished during the BLM riots and marches, and no one even got in trouble for it. Yet the protests against lockdowns were no big super spread event. Actually, no, it was even worse than that. It was the New York public health body said that it was actually good that they were going out and protesting, not just because it was their democratic right to protest, but actually intermingling during the summer might boost people's immune systems. Curious that, isn't it? The virus can distinguish between what you're protesting for. If you're protesting for things the government wants, it likes it. If it protests against things the government wants, it doesn't like it. But also somehow the virus is racist and targets more black people. Don't ask questions, just coof product. Um, Can we just scroll down slightly, John? I'll just do one more quick one, please. I don't have a mouse at the moment. Uh, So if you live, there's a new show in Denmark where the plot is that Denmark is sinking into the ocean and other countries have closed their borders because it wouldn't be horrible if you were the refugee and Uganda refused to help. If they did that to California, I think most of America would be really thankful for that. If that just all sort of sank into the ocean, but yes, quite. well, that that that's why I now realise that from Superman two, Lex Luthor was the Lex Luthor was the hero and Superman was the villain because he stopped California being sunk into the sea. Was that Superman one? Oh no, no, you're thinking of uh, Superman Returns with Kevin Spacey, aren't you? 
where he was trying to buy the island of Kryptonite. Am I thinking of the right one as well? I have no idea. All those movies suck. Dan, you're safe. Right. Um, yes, so um, Brendan Fisher has made an argument for 2004 because we had uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King, Spider-Man 2, Shaun of the Dead, Shrek 2. Oh, come on. Oh, so Spider-Man 2 is rubbish. Incredibles, uh, Scooby-Doo yeah. 2, and Passion of the Christ. I mean, okay, maybe. that's a really oh, good no, year. Ba- no, Base Ape has a better one. He has 1999. Because, and, uh, bloody hell, this is one year of films, right? Fight Club, yeah. Matrix, yeah. Mummy, Office Space, no, I didn't see that one, The Phantom Menace, The Spy Who Shagged Me, American Pie, The Sixth Sense, The Blair Witch Problem, and my personal favourite, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Okay, I haven't seen like half of those. So, so yeah, that was quite good. Oh, uh, Sophie Liv says, the way they make movies now is also insane. They don't really have a finished script before they film. Rather, they film eight hours of stuff for a two-hour movie and then cut it down afterwards, show to test audiences and change the movie completely based on feedback. Then they have to do reshoots to fit the newer vision anyway. Have you ever heard about the story what happened with Justice League? It's genuine madness. If you wanted to do a film for economics, it's great. They shot the whole thing. Snyder shot it as a four-hour film. He shot it in IMAX. It's really expensive. And then... By the time it came to editing, his daughter had killed herself, so he asked for time off during the editing stage to then go to the funeral. They said no and sacked him because the critics didn't like his films, but the fans came out and actually supported it because the previous one nearly made a billion. So then the head of filmmaking and comics hired Joss Whedon from the Avengers films to come in and reshoot the whole film in a couple of months, including reshooting Henry Cavill when he was filming Mission Impossible, and he had contractually not allowed to shave his moustache, so they CGI'd over his face. And so they doubled the budget and made absolutely nothing on the did, did the Snyder Cut get released? Snyder Cut did get released in 2021. Okay, that was the one that I watched. It and was, it was a bit long, but it was coherent. It's really good. Yeah. And it's yeah. very long. Much the original better. one sucks. Don't ever watch it. But if you just wanted an exercise on how to waste money through just right. weird filmmaking by yeah, committee yeah. strategies, that's a perfect example. Fair enough. You better do something yours, Callum. Sure. So Josie Angel sends in $10 to say, Thank you. If you want to predict the future of Bud Light, ask a Vietnam era of Americans what they think of Jane Fonda. Yes, quite. Well, on that note, we're pretty much out of time. So if you'd uh, like more from lotusseasers.com, well, it's on lotusseasers.com, isn't it? Anyway, bye. Oh, it's bye. Bye.